A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards, and we're doing things a little bit differently today. Um, The entire show basically just going to be this, a a conversation with my friend and Bearing Arms contributor, Ryan Petty. Uh, We're going to be talking about the uh, shooting at Covenant School in Nashville, Tennessee, the reaction and response um, from both sides, quite frankly, and uh, where we go from here, right? Uh, Ryan, this is something that I wrote about uh, uh, what happened in Nashville for my first story of the day, and I pointed out that gun control activists were blaming constitutional carry um, for for the school shooting. Uh, and I think it's because of Florida's permitless carry vote, which is coming up this week. But one thing that Shannon Watts said that I actually do agree with is that these things are preventable. These shootings are preventable. I just don't think we prevent them by doing the things she wants. So let me just start there. Do you think? that these types of horrific tragedies can be stopped? And do we need gun control to do it? Well, Cam, thanks for having me on today. Um, But before we start, I just wanna wanna share um, my love for the families of the victims. Um, I'm praying for them. I don't care that the left ridicules us for prayer. it's an important part of, um, I felt the prayers of of the entire nation um, after my daughter was killed in Parkland. And I know the other families, uh, many of them felt that love and support in the prayers. And so I just wanna start by saying, I'm praying for these families. Uh, they're waking up to the, the worst possible, um, worst imaginable thing for a parent and, uh, um, and I don't want to forget the other staff members. So, I, you know, there's a lot of fog of war, so to speak, at this point right now. And we don't know all the facts. But let me start by saying that. Second, let me say, yes, these are preventable. No gun control is not the answer. Period. That's just uh, those are just the facts. And of course, we can explore that in, in, in some detail. And I'm sure we're going to have that discussion. But, you know, Shannon Watts is not often right. But on this, uh, I agree with you. I agree with Shannon. These are preventable. I'm certain we're going to find warning signs and we're we're likely to find warning signs that were not heeded. Uh, in fact, we did already see that there were some warning signs. Unfortunately, they were uh, in the form of Instagram messages just moments before the attack started uh, without sufficient time for um, the person that received these, a friend of the killer, to act and uh, and help the police, um, you know, respond even even quicker or, or perhaps even prevent this. So, um, you know, we'll have to see where these warning signs, uh, where they manifest themselves and what we what we find out in the in the you know next couple of weeks. Right. And, you know, you and I have talked about this before. Um, the Secret Service report, a couple of Secret Service reports actually that have come out over the past couple of years. Um, looking at, specifically at, uh, uh, you know, these types of target attacks on schools and then looking at active shooter incidents in general. And you brought this stat to, to my attention, Ryan, the fact that over 90 percent of these targeted school attacks that the Secret Service examined, the individual did communicate their intentions beforehand, right? Whether it, again, was reaching out on social media to somebody, whether it was communicating to a friend or a family member. But there were those signs. And in fact, the Secret Service itself says these are preventable acts as long as we are paying attention and as long as we have the right response when these individuals pop up on our radar. 
Um, yeah, that's correct. And and I'm guessing that this will be no different than than the other nine out of 10 um, attacks that were, you know, where there were warning signs available and and not and not uh, unfortunately acted on. Um, we'll see if that is the case here. We know that the the killer had uh, created a manifesto. We know from Nashville PD that there were some additional writings found in the killer's car that was parked near the school. And we have this, you know, exchange that was uh, reported on by the New York Post, uh, this ex Instagram messaging exchange where the killer, in, you know, indicates it's time for me to die. Um, you know, this will all make more sense soon, but I need to die. And, you know, and the friend sort of reaching out saying, hey, look, I'll, you know, I want, I'll, I'll pray for you. And the friend did the right thing. The friend, uh, as as we understand it from the reporting, reached out to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline and also reached out to Nashville police. Um, ironically, she called 911 at 1013, which was the precise minute that the attack started. Um, Nash Nashville PD, not knowing what was going on, referred her to the non-emergency line, which she, uh, I understand, contacted at 1014. So the attack had already begun. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, in retrospect, you know, we can maybe Monday morning quarterback and say, well, why didn't the Nashville police, uh, you know, refer that call to the emergency? But again, at that point, it doesn't sound like there was any indication she had specific knowledge of of what this individual is planning on carrying out, uh, right? I viewed this more as a, a, a potential suicide. And, you know, Ryan, I, I saw some of the video that the Nashville police released of the suspect gaining entrance to the school, basically shooting out the doors, gaining entry. Um, again, I find it, I find it so offensive. Um, and I, I'm not an easily offended person. I don't like being offended. I think that's actually kind of a silly thing to be, but I, I find it legitimately offensive when I see gun control activists say, well, you know, if Tennessee just didn't have a constitutional carry law, this wouldn't have happened. You know, this was somebody, as you say, who had a manifesto, who had a plan, who had clearly been obsessing about this um, for some period of time. The idea that well, if, if they had to get a concealed carry license, first of all, I, I don't know why they wouldn't have been able to get a concealed carry license. Apparently, they were able to legally purchase their firearms. Um, but to pin this on constitutional carry or to say, well, you know, if, if, if quote, unquote, Sullivan's were banned. Seems to me that 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 kind of misses the point here. Right. We are talking about basically needles in haystacks when we're looking at, at finding these individuals and identifying them before they can carry out their plans. This idea that we can just cast this wide net over everybody uh, in the hopes of stopping, you know, a, a handful of monsters. In this particular case, it sounds like the suspect actually, as part of their planning, investigated a second location and determined, you know what, I don't want to go there because the security is too tight. That tells me, Ryan, that when we're trying to stop these monsters, again, we can talk about, you know, beforehand, but when they have started to carry out their plans in motion, then the most critical thing becomes slowing them down uh, and stopping them uh, before they can, uh, again, um, get too far inside that hard target. And that's where we start to talk about things like school security. That's when we start to talk about things like school guardians or armed school staff. Which, again, gun control activists don't want us to have that conversation. 
Yeah, there's so much, and, and pardon the the term of the left here. There's so much to unpack in what you just said, but let me let's start unpacking. Um, you know, first of all, the attack as we understand it um, began at 10:13, ended at 10:27 when Nashville PD did, by all accounts, the right thing, went in immediately, addressed the killer, killed the killer, and 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 ended the carnage. That was the right response. But let's talk about that. That was 14 minutes. Now, for those um, that remember, many of these attacks, you know, 14 minutes is an eternity, in my view. My my good friend and Sheriff Grady Judd likes to say, when seconds count, minutes don't matter. I can't imagine as a parent, you know, I've had this happen to me, but, you know, my appeal is to parents out there. Can you imagine a killer walking through? your child's school for 14 minutes. It, 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 it's incomprehensible. And so we've got to figure out how to shorten that time. So one of the things we have to do is prevent entry. Now, in, the, in this case, I've seen the video, the killer shot through the glass, very similar to the attack uh, method in Sandy Hook and was able to gain entry through the outer doors by shooting through the glass. Um, that was number one. Number two, the question I have, 14 minutes is an eternity, but what was the killer doing for 14 minutes? Did that school go into some sort of a lockdown mode? The police have said that the killer shot randomly at victims. So there weren't targeting any particular individuals. They were just, as so many of these killers do, just shooting the first person or killing the first person that they see. Um, so for 14 minutes, you know, was that school in some sort of a lockdown? Did teachers lock doors? Did they hide students? What slowed this killer down? Um, because as tragic as this tragedy is, it could have been much worse with 14 minutes. And the killer was armed with with two rifles and a handgun. And the police have released pictures of these of these rifles. One appears to be an AR-9, another is an AR-15, and then I believe there was a, a SIG uh, firearm, a, a handgun. Um, so first of all, conceal carry. If you're carrying rifles, you're not concealing them. Conceal carry law, immaterial in this regard. The question about the origin of these firearms is, interest, is, is one that's interesting. Were they purchased legally? Was there a straw purchase involved? We don't know yet. But I'm sure law enforcement is researching the origins of these firearms. I've seen I've seen reports that at least they say at least two of them were legally purchased uh, in the Nashville area. So we know by early reports that some of these were purchased legally. So so again, passed a background check, purchased firearms legally. N none of the prescription that you hear from. The gun control advocates would have would have solved anything here. Now, their their next uh, point is, well, let's ban, quote unquote, assault rifles. And we can we can unpack that one in just a moment. But. My thoughts were immediately upon entry. Stopping that killer as quickly as possible. Where where was the armed security? Um, sh the, the school should have had somebody there that could have stopped the attack, whether that was a teacher carrying concealed with permission of the school or or a hired uh, you know security uh, officer or school resource officer somebody there that could have engaged that killer 
quickly because it appears that the killer walked around for several minutes, sort of opening doors and going down hallways. And again, this was a this was a person that ostensibly, or at least by first reports, was had some familiarity with the school, perhaps had attended back in 2005 and 2006. So was familiar with the target, was familiar with the layout, had drawn a map of of the school so that uh, uh, so that they knew you know how to gain entry and and where to go. So there was some advanced planning here. Um, and as you indicated, it's interesting they went after this school because they felt that it was less secure than an alternate target. Now, I have not read anywhere where that alternate target had been has been identified. I don't think we know where that was yet. Um, it will be interesting to find out what that second target was and what they had done that made that target less appealing to this killer. And there, I think we find information that's actually helpful in preventing these attacks. What did this other location do? Did they have metal doors? Did they lock, you know, ex exterior and interior doors? Did they have armed security? My guess is we're going to find out one or a combination of those things were at this second uh, secondary target. And that's why the killer chose to go to the easiest target, the target where they would they knew they would find the least resistance. And that is where we need to start. We need to make these targets less appealing. If somebody is suicidal and wants to die by cop or wants to go out in a blaze of glory, then let's, why would we not protect our schools? We protect our airports uh, with, with security. We don't leave, you know, I've seen people mock gun control advocates mocking um, folks that have pointed out that the, the doors were unlocked and, entering in, you know, quote unquote, side doors and things like that. They're mocking the fact that we want doors locked in our schools. Do these people also want to leave airports open? Is that is that, you know, can we just leave side doors and side gates open at airports? No, we don't do that. We've learned the lessons of 9-11 and other hijackings. And so we protect our airports. We should do the same for our schools. This is a no brainer. And parents need to be asking the tough questions this morning, can my child's school stop an attack once it starts? Heaven forbid one starts, but if it does, how quickly can it be stopped? And is there somebody there that will run to the danger, run to the sounds of gunshots and do what needs to be done to stop the attack? If you as a parent can't answer the question with a, an affirmative yes, then you need to rethink where you're sending your child to school. Absolutely. And, you know, I got to say it's 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 been um, enlightening in a way to see the response that you describe from gun control advocates mocking. Right. Those people laughing at people who, who want to talk about improving school security. But you look at, at what happened in Denver last week, right, where this uh, 17 year old who was on probation for a previous weapons offense had been kicked out of school. Uh, got transferred to another, uh, but was told, you know, listen, you got to get patted down every morning before we let you inside. Um, apparently, one of the staffers discovered a gun. Student pulled it out, shot uh, two of these staffers. And almost instantly, Ryan, uh, in Denver, where they had pulled school resource officers out of the public schools in 2020, right? In the name of uh, ending the school to prison pipeline uh, and all of these, you know, pri what I would call misplaced priorities, right? We're, we're, we're protecting the students from the police. Uh, 
Uh, we don't really need these officers here. Within hours after that shooting, Denver Mayor Michael Hancock says, yeah, that was a mistake. We're bringing the police back into schools. Denver School Board passes an emergency measure bringing police back into schools. So I didn't see any gun control advocates mocking the Democrats who recognized, albeit belatedly, uh, the importance of, again, having that armed response in schools, which gets to, I guess, another point here. How frustrating is it for you? Because one of the things I really admire about you is that you have taken your pain and your grief and your anger, and you have channeled it, I think, into a very appropriate uh, mechanism of trying, again, to ensure that no parent has to go through what you and your family has experienced, that that no child uh, has to be the victim of one of these uh, killers in, in, in school. And in doing so, I think you have kind of tried to look at this from a very nonpartisan angle, right? It's what works. It's not who's suggesting a particular idea. It's what's going to be most effective. How frustrating is it for you to see these things politicized instantaneously? And, and all of a sudden we start to fall onto these you know, lines about, well, it's the it's the it's the it's the transgender movement. Uh, if you're a conservative, right, it's, you know, transgender terrorists. Uh, if you're on the left, it's, oh, no, it's the guns. We've got to ban the guns. What are we missing? And what would you like to see this debate, discussion, argument look like going forward? Yeah, so just saying I wasn't going to comment on on this attack uh, other than to say that my prayers were with the family and and requesting that others join me in prayer for the families and that we'll later because what what makes me so what what's so frustrating what makes me angry cam and this happened after parkland and it happened yesterday immediately the narratives get thrown out particularly on social media which just becomes an absolutely uh, vile place to be in the aftermath of uh, of you know really any tragedy, but specifically one where there's so much politicization uh, of this. Um, once once we learn, look, we're learning a lot more about the attacker. Um, we're learning uh, a lot more about the target. The tar the uh, the killer appears to have been a transgender um, a female attacking a christian school now this is not the narrative that the left wants so the um they have come after the gun issue and any other ideas about how to prevent these attacks with a ferocity that i have not seen in years and it's because this doesn't seem to fit the narrative now we'll have to we'll have to see the facts are going to have to play out here. We'll have to know more about the killer, the killer's motives and intentions. I'm sure the manifesto will be partially or uh, you know released soon, and we'll have a better idea of why the attack was um, perpetrated on this on this Christian school. But this this kind of attack is not what the left. Uh, this is doesn't follow the narrative, and so they're upset about it. So they're going to come after the gun control issue. <clears throat> with a ferocity that 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 we don't typically see after these these attacks they're going to have to because they've got to change the 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 they've got to change the subject as it were what's frustrating is so often you see the same mo around these attacks 
a grievance, acquisition of, of, of weapons, planning, communication of that plan and the intentions of the killer, a soft target, and then, and then carnage. And we can break that cycle if we're paying attention early enough, if we can intervene. And I have, um, I don't know if I would say I've been nonpartisan about this issue, but I've been clear that I don't think restricting the rights and freedoms of law-abiding gun owners will do anything to stop evil from attacking our most vulnerable citizens, our, our children, in these soft targets. So until we're willing to protect you know, the, the, the gun control folks like to say, hey, you know, when Republicans love their kids as much as they love their guns, we can do something about this. Let me flip that on its side and say, you know, when we love our schools and our children in our schools as much as we love our airplanes, maybe we'll do something about it. Right. Maybe we'll take school security seriously. There are a number of measures that we've taken in Florida to improve our school safety and knock on wood. We have not had another Parkland-style attack, although we've had attempts, a number of attempts, dozens of attempts on schools in Florida. We've been able to thwart those with behavioral threat assessment and management, which is a tactic the Secret Service uses to protect the president. We've hardened our schools. Our gates are locked. Our doors are locked. Our teachers and students are trained on what to do during uh, an active assailant attack. Doors are locked windows are covered, students are hidden. We mitigate as much of the of, of the harm that can be done as possible. And then we have armed security on that campus to stop the threat immediately before responding law enforcement can get there. Is it perfect? No. These killers, um, these killers are methodical about their planning and they often are insiders, like it appears this attacker was, and they have a knowledge of the building and the security and the methods of, you know, of, of safety and security for these, these targets. So they go in with an advantage, but what we've done in Florida is working. What other states have done uh, in this regard is working. And this idea that we have to infringe on the rights of law-abiding gun owners to prevent these tragedies is absolutely ludicrous. Uh, and the gun control folks know it. Let's be honest. They know it. Their goal is to is the eradication of all firearms in American society. And some of them believe, actually believe they'll be safer. Others have more nefarious reasons for wanting to disarm Americans. And the two have uh, formed an alliance. The two groups are, are in an alliance, and they'll use every tragedy to further their narrative. And I think it's important for those of us that understand why we have the Second Amendment, understand our need to protect ourselves and our families by using firearms, are, and are grateful for the Second Amendment. It's time for us to stand up and say no. Enough is enough. We're we're going to understand why these attacks happen, and we're going to take the steps necessary to protect these targets and make sure that these killers think twice before they attack a school. Absolutely, absolutely. I want to I want to go back to something that you talked about um, because beyond the the physical security, right? There is, as you say, that the behavioral threat analysis, um, which hopefully 
allows authorities to intervene uh, b- before, you know, something terrible happens. I, I, you know, I, I talked earlier about casting this wide net over everybody in the hopes of, uh, you know, catching a, a couple of monsters. It seems to me like, again, we're sort of looking for needles in haystacks here, right? The, the people who carry out and perpetrate these attacks are very, very few and far between, thankfully. On one hand, it makes it very difficult to, to try to figure out who that person is going to be, right? Because, look, uh, you know, some individuals who carry out these attacks might have mental illness, but the vast majority of people who are mentally ill are never going to be mass shooters. Uh, the vast majority of, no matter how you slice and dice us, the vast majority of us will never contemplate such an act, much less try to carry one out, right? So I don't think you can look at a particular group and say, ah, well, they've got a propensity for, uh, you know, mass violence. But when you make that haystack smaller, when you're not looking for, you know, 40 needles out of 400 million pieces of hay, but now, now instead, okay, well, let's take this school here. And now we've got 800 pieces of hay and there may be a needle in there. It's a lot easier to sort of look to, to know what you're looking for, right? And to identify that problem. In some ways, I, I don't think it, it doesn't make any sense to me that we're looking at this as sort of a national issue. Because ultimately, when these acts happen, they are very local. Um, and to me, it seems like the the local institutions, whether it's law enforcement, whether it's the schools, that that's the primary place where we have the best opportunity to intervene before these attacks occur. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. And one of the things that we've done here in Florida, and again, th- this touches on due process and touches on, you know, I'm going to get into this a little bit here, but one of the things we've done here in Florida, not only to protect our schools, but law enforcement is now trained and required to be trained on behavioral threat assessment and management. So we've changed the method of operation, if you will, for law enforcement in the state of Florida. No longer is it just hey, crime was committed, you know, a reactive policing where you go out and you respond to a 911 call where some crime has been committed. You find the perpetrator, you arrest the perpetrator, you take them in front of a judge and, you know, the the the, the traditional policing process. Now, you know, we get, law enforcement gets a lot of calls about things that aren't quite crimes, but they're they're interesting enough. They're, they see a potential for violence or potential for criminal activity. It's, it's a lot like, um, you know, if, if, if you see somebody standing outside a jewelry store, you know, uh, every evening, sort of, uh, you know, checking the locks and checking the back door and making sure the, you know, checking to see if there's cameras, that's a warning sign, right? That there might be a, a jewelry store robbery uh, about to happen. Well, there's, there's these warning signs that, that you see people that are in some sort of a crisis. And this crisis precedes a lot of these attacks. Uh, we see this in the school attacks or uh, you know community attacks. Um, and so what, what we can do when law enforcement becomes aware of these things, they can, in the state of Florida now, bring additional resources in. And there's a couple of controversial things that that we do in Florida that make a lot of Second Amendment supporters nervous and i'm one of those that's nervous although i've been a proponent of these and i get a lot of heat for this but we have this thing called a red flag law um, where when there is a threat made and law enforcement determines that there is a an actual threat to somebody else or to the person that's making the threat um, they now confiscate weapons um, 
there are due process issues with that and i recognize those and i and i'm hoping that we can fix those or do away with red flag laws and go to what we used to do which was a citation program where you just if the person's in a mental crisis you take them and you you don't terms you take them in front of a judge and you get a determination that they're in they're having a mental uh, uh, crisis, and then you get them the help that that they need. Hopefully, we'll move to more of a model like that. But what we're doing now in Florida is a proactive uh, policing model, where we're we're seeing the warning signs and we're acting in the best interest, I hope, of of that individual before a crime is committed. And that's one element of it. And I know that sounds like pre-crime and all that. And and there are concerns about how do we how do we protect people's rights. In, in that kind of environment. But the second thing we're doing is we're not just going out there repeatedly, like we saw with the Parkland killer with 40 plus visits by law enforcement and nothing done. We're now engaging crisis intervention teams in that process, or if necessary, making an arrest. Um, we're, we're, the police are acting more, managing the the the, the problems that they're seeing and I'm probably doing a terrible job if, if you ask law enforcement explaining the changes, but we're taking that behavioral threat management model and we're extending it to policing uh, through through executive action from Governor DeSantis and training by uh, Florida Department of Law Enforcement. So we're acting on the warning signs in Florida. Not everybody's happy with how we're doing that, but we're at least acting on those and hopefully creating uh, uh, a safer society in a safer state for for, for uh, Floridians. Well, and listen, I mean, you and I have talked before about red flag laws um, and, you know, our, our shared concerns about them. Um, and listen, I mean, as long as we're talking about that, you know, there's the Washington Examiner and uh, Gun Owners of America have been doing some really interesting investigations on uh, the Secret Service and the FBI's use of apparently a, a secret form um, that people are, you know, voluntarily, voluntarily, quote unquote, signing away their right to keep and bear arms. That's troubling. I mean, when, when we talk about, you know, the due process concerns, that's we're not just paying lip service to this. Right. All of these steps that are taken to identify these individuals who are at risk of committing the acts of mass violence again, there needs to be a clear, bright line in terms of the authority that uh, law enforcement possesses on how to deal with those individuals. Um, yes, they do need to have uh, uh, the tools that they, you know, that are appropriate, um, but those tools can't be abused and there needs to be, you know, repercussions when when that happens. Um, but to say, well, we can't do anything, I think is absolutely ludicrous. Or to say the only thing we can do is to ban guns and to restrict the Second Amendment rights of law-abiding Americans. I think is a it's an absolute false argument. And I think what Florida is doing, as you say, uh, there are parts of uh, Florida's parkland response that a lot of gun owners are not happy with. Um, but I think they're all we're also seeing some lawmakers are now uh, willing to revisit this issue uh, five years on. And, and I think that that is appropriate as well. You know, unfortunately, Ryan, I mean, as you and I have talked before, there is no easy answer. Uh, and there is certainly no, you know, policy where we can snap our fingers and bloop, the problem is solved. This is something that does require a lot of work. It requires, I think, a great deal of work at the local level. But, you know, last question for you, because we're uh, running a little short on time here. What what should we be talking about that we're not? What, 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 what if, if you could just, you know, sit everybody in America down in a room 
and say, listen, here's what you're missing. What would you tell them? What would you tell us? There's two things I would I would tell them. Look, one, let me speak directly to the parents. Parents, I said this before. If you don't know how your school will respond to an active assailant, then you need to sit down with that school. Don't take no for an answer. Sit down and find out what what measures that they can share with you. Now, again, some security plans, there there's some reasons for having some secrets, and that's okay. But you need to have comfort that that school is taking these threats seriously and has a plan to stop the killing as quickly as possible if it if heaven forbid it starts. Number one, parents get out, get information, understand what's happening at your child's school. Number one. Number two, I'll come back to what we've been talking about, Cam. It's these are preventable. They are knowable and and not a hundred percent of them. And we may find this Tennessee, this national attack was not quote unquote preventable, but odds are pretty good that there were warning signs that other people knew about and didn't act on. And unfortunately, the one person that we do know acted on this friend of the killers acted um, by circumstance, had to act too late to prevent this tragedy from happening. So these are preventable. We don't need gun control to prevent them. And parents, talk to your school, your kids' schools, make sure they're not a target. Make sure they're not a soft target. Um, Those are the two things that I would tell folks. Brian, listen, I I really appreciate your time today. We could talk about this for for hours. And I want to have you back because I want to talk I think the next time uh, we we talk, uh, I'd like to to talk a little bit about resilience and how how we can raise our kids um, to be more resilient, so that when again these sort of crisis moments might happen, and a lot of us are going to have moments in our life when we are overwhelmed, that that they have the tools that they need to respond appropriately. Because I think that's a a, a secondary conversation we need to be having here. We can talk about preventing these individuals from carrying out these attacks. But then we also need to talk about, uh, you know, how we stop these individuals from turning into monsters in the first place. And again, not going to be able to do that in every circumstance, but I think sometimes, um, yeah, there are going to be those opportunities to intervene. Uh, Ryan, again, I, I thank you so much for your time. I thank you for um, for your voice. I love you very much. I really appreciate you being here today. I look forward to doing this again soon. Thank you, brother. Thank you.